Blog Talk Radio. That's right, everybody. You know who it is. Coach Mike Jones, I'm the coach with the most. Coming at you hard from coast to coast. I don't want to boast, but now I gotta roast you in my social media posts. You double dose, a diagnose. You feeling tired, life is bad now, you're a ghost. I'll be your host, so won't you raise a toast to the coach with the most, Coach Mike Jones. when pro wrestling was being 
introduced, or do you think that the taste and the styles have changed from that? Well, I think uh, it's a blending of both. I think you, people still like some of the old school, um, the old school storytelling type stuff that they had, you know, back in the day where. You know, the, the feud would be kind of prolonged at times. You had the map-based wrestling, but if the feud was prolonged, it would get into something that was, you know, much more violent. And sometimes you'd have blood, and you have your big blow-off match in the end. I think, you know, their storytelling was always pretty good um, for the most part. They had their hiccups like everybody else. But, yeah, they're, you know, with Vergani as champion and Nick Bockwinkle as champion, Rick Martell as champion, um, yeah, it was it was more of you know a mat based champion, but I guess you know your NWA champions are very similar, whereas your WWWF champions, you know, I you know your Bruno San Martino, the Ivan Koloff, um, Pedro Morales was more kind of a you know he was a mat based guy, but he was kind of a brawler too at times. Had that Puerto Rican fire and that temper, so um, the AWA was just it was just a little bit different, but. You know, especially with, you know, Vern was so technical and Nick Bockwinkle was so technical. Uh, I think I think people still enjoy that just because you're not getting as much of it anymore, but you've got to be able to blend it in. For sure. Now in Omaha, uh, there's some wrestling around Omaha and so much, but... It's part of the Midwest, but it's sort of an a open area where you don't see a lot of shows in Nebraska outside of, like, Omaha or Lincoln. Is it hard to get people to come into Omaha when you're looking for talent just because of the geography of it, or is it part of the Midwest enough that people still will go to Omaha and wrestle and uh, look for shows somewhere close by. Oh, yeah, people will still come to Omaha. There's plenty of shows in the Midwest to where you can, you know, you can book yourself two, three times in a weekend without a problem all within, you know, three, four hours of each other. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of a lot of events that go on in Minnesota and, you know, there's a few in Iowa. There's not a, not a lot in Iowa right now, but there's a few. Um, there's, you know, you got Kansas who's got, you know, quite a few. Missouri's got quite a few going on, so you can always find another event. Um, plus, you know, usually when like the MWA runs out, you know, we run, you know, we're running, you know, usually two shows a weekend in the state of Nebraska, whether it's in Lincoln and um, Beatrice, or in a couple weeks we're running North Platte, Nebraska, and Lexington, Nebraska, which is where I'm headed right now to promote the show tonight. So. Um, you know, the rest of Nebraska is getting some. You know, we hit a lot of places once a year with the MWA. and But we try to, you know, we try to make it so if we're, like, if somebody comes in, they, they get they get two nights out of it, a Friday, Saturday, Saturday, Sunday, something like that, or a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Oh, very, very nice. Now, in your career, I know that you have wrestled for several different places in especially on the independent level, the actual physical rings can vary as far as uh, how hard or soft they are, for how they're put together, how they're made. What would you say has been the best ring 
that you have personally been in for wrestling? Uh, best one? I'm going to be biased to say the MWA one. I'm pretty partial to that one. But outside of that one would be, oh, TAPW in Kansas because he's got a brand-new ring. That thing's pretty nice. And I'm trying to, I mean, so many rings anymore. I've been doing this so long. None of them feel that much different. Um, you know, the TNA ring was like a was like laying on a on a bed. It was so it was so soft. You know, you, you almost didn't want to get up. You want to take a nap. Um, that was almost that was too soft and easy to land on. Um, but I would say those are the those are the you know the ones I named are probably the best rings I've been in. For overall, when you count the ropes, the hitting the canvas, things like that. Now, speaking of the ropes and the canvas, we've all been in there when things have happened to the ring during the course of a match that we don't expect. Uh, ropes break, boards pop up, canvas uh, bunches up, things of that nature. Have you ever had any problems with a ring malfunction in the middle of your match? I've had the top rope break. I mean, when I hit the rope before, and that happened. It's kind of, you know, yeah. there's a reason they teach you to hold on to this, grab the top rope when you hit the ropes. And I just flipped right on over with it, and I was okay. Um, I've had the middle rope break in a match, which isn't quite nearly as bad, but because you're still holding on to the top rope, you don't fly out of the out of the thing. I've had I've had boards pop up in the middle of the match and then you just kinda you kinda just gotta adapt yourself to what you got left. And especially like this when a board pops up, you just gotta make sure you you know, you don't land there or you don't put your opponent there. For sure. That is the goal when that happens. Now I don't know a lot if of people don't understand that. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure when you went over the top, you were repeating the mantra, the top rope is my lifeline. Pretty much. You know, you, you learn real fast why um, you were taught to hold on to the top rope. Like, yep, that's why. Yes, indeed. Now, I don't know if the shows you do have this very much, but one of the niche parts of pro wrestling that's become more popular in the last few years is the deathmatch wrestling. We're seeing all deathmatch shows and tournaments pop up. We see deathmatches on standard shows. Uh, there seems to be sort of that fan base that wants to see that type of professional wrestling. Do you personally get involved in many of the deathmatch shows or matches? No, I don't do it either. I mean, I've done hardcore matches and things like that, but I'm not. The problem with death matches is if you watch these guys that do it for, you know, a certain amount of time, their lives are never the same. And, you know, and, and no offense to any of them, they most of the time end up broke because afterwards it's hard. You know, I've seen, you know, guys can't walk. You know, guys, they get infections. They get, you know, it's, you know, you've beaten your body so bad with, with, weapons and light tubes and this and that, that, you know, once you're 40, you can't function in life anymore the way you should be able to function in life. 
and for what? I mean, some guys just think it's cool, and that's great, and there's fans that think it's cool, and that's great. But one, most of these guys aren't getting paid a whole lot to do it. And and two, your quality of life after 40 is going to suck. And you're, you're not getting out of that unscathed. Now, one of the other parts of pro wrestling that we have seen a rise in in the last few years is Lucha Libre wrestling, and we see more Lucha-only shows pop up all over the country. It's just all over the place now. We see more and more Lucha-based wrestlers on standard shows than we used to see. In your area where you normally compete, do you see a lot of the Lucha Libre parts of wrestling, and do they seem to have a following in that area? I just did a Lucha show two weeks ago. So, yeah, there's a good following. We There used to be a lot more Lucha shows in the Nebraska area that we did. We did lots. The problem, the problem is, is, especially in Nebraska, and I've seen it happen everywhere, is when one person sees somebody making money, you know, then, you know, there's usually, a, you know, there's a collective of, of people putting it on, and then, you know, they get greedy and think they can make more. And what they did is divided it up so badly that they, they killed the Lucha brand in the state of Nebraska, in, in a sense. Um, you know, now there's one that, that they run shows, you know, every now and then, once every six months most of the time anymore. Um, a lot of times they'll do, let's say, Cinco de Mayo, um, you know, there's always like a single to mile event we do, and then, which for some reason we did at the end of April this time, but it is what it is. But I like doing lucha. I used to do tons of lucha. Like I said, there was, you know, we there was a nice gig going around in Nebraska that we were doing in Nebraska and Kansas. And people got greedy, like what happens in a lot of times in the wrestling business, and they couldn't just get along and decide on the money, and one person wanted more than the next, and kind of ripped it apart. Oh, that's a shame when that happens, for sure. In years past, one of the ways that pro wrestlers had to promote themselves in the era before social media was wrestling magazines. It used to be very important to get mentioned at all in the magazines because... That's how fans learned of new wrestlers, new promotions. They were able to keep up with different people that had previously been in their area and was out of the area for a while. We still have PWI in existence, and it's still read by fans. But do you think that magazines today still have a good influence on pro wrestling and pro wrestling fans, or do you think that the era has passed us? I think the era has passed. I mean, I used to get PWI when I was younger, and it was great because I got the results from everywhere and got the top tens from places, especially in the 80s. It was great in the early 90s. But nowadays everything's on social media. You don't need the magazines, and the magazines are kind of a shell of themselves. Since the business was exposed, the magazines can't be what they once were. So, and you know, with results, 
if you want results from somewhere, you got to do is you know, go online and, and find them, you know, and, I mean, are, are there real top tens anymore? I mean, AEW seems to have gotten, pretty much gotten rid of their top ten. They had it for a while. I haven't seen it. Them really to the real top ten in a while either. So, you know, things like that and, you know, real stories that, you know, PWI used to have, you know, in quotes, real stories. You know, you, you don't have those anymore because your business has been completely exposed. So, you know, and I, I love what PWI did in the past, and I'm glad they're still going, and I'm glad they're still, you know, they must still be a viable business because they're still putting the magazine out there. But overall, I think they're obsolete compared to what they used to be just because of social media and get all your information there. Now, one of the ways that most pro wrestlers, and especially on the independents, make money at this is merchandising, usually a smart independent wrestler will make more selling merchandise than they will whatever fee they get from the actual wrestling aspect of a show. What's been your merchandise game like in the last few years? Well, I sell a lot of T-shirts and posters, uh, some trading cards. Uh, I have Lucha Mass I sell because I can get them. I I have a vendor I get them from in Mexico, so I made a connection when I was wrestling in Mexico with a vendor in Mexico. So, I sell stuff like that, and usually, um, you know, most nights I do pretty well selling that kind of stuff. I don't sell a lot of, you know, some guys bring, like, trinkets and stuff. They buy a Dollar General. I won't do anything like that. I got Brian Blade shirts and Brian Blade posters and fiction glossies, trading cards, things like that. So, What's the strangest thing that you've ever seen a wrestler try to sell at the merchandise table? Strangest thing, huh? Oh. I've seen a lot of Dollar General, uh, those little Dollar General figures. I've seen, I'm trying to think, what else? Um, it's really strange out there. I don't know. I've seen mini cowbells. People, you know, cowboy wrestlers sold a mini cowbells. Um, glow in the dark, like those cush balls, glow in the dark cush balls. That was different. Because it just seemed like we were in a flea market, but if they sell, I guess they sell. You gotta make money doing something. Um, I, I mean, I've seen people try to sell just about any. I mean, they, I've seen people try to sell their junk out of their house. You know, old magazines, old this, old that. You know, depending where you are. So, I, you know, people try to sell anything sometimes at those shows. I've seen a lot of things try to be sold myself. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. From the last few years, on my observations at a lot of shows, a lot of people at the independent level seem to take a lot of... uh, out of phrases, they take a lot of uh, importance on the entrance to the ring. They want their music played a certain way. They only come through the curtain at a certain point in the music. They might have uh, 
certain poses that they make at certain points, that type of thing. Do you think that the newer generation of wrestlers have put too much stock into that type of detail of the entrance, or do you think that this much detail is something that is important? It's a little important, but you're still, if, if you can't work in the ring, you're going to be exposed once you get to the ring, and that entrance isn't going to make a difference. You do whatever you want in the entrance, but if you suck in the ring, it's not going to matter. Or you can you can walk to the ring with no music, you know, 1970 style, and if you're great in the ring, the fans are going to cheer you anyway. You know, that the initial, when you walk out of the curtain, should establish yourself as a heel or baby face. But it shouldn't establish everything about who you are when you walk through the curtain. So, yeah, there's, there's some guys that care way too much about because you see it on WWE in the elaborate entrances, and AEW the elaborate entrances. But that still doesn't mean you can work in the ring. That's just part of a you know of the presentation. But the most important thing at the end of the day is what that match is. So no matter what you do coming out of the curtain, if you can't if you can't get it done in the ring, it doesn't really make a difference. Well, at this point, my co-host. The- Coach with the most, coming at us from coast to coast. Coach Mike Jones with us. I'm sure he has questions galore, so I'm going to pass you over to Coach. Hey, brother. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Coach. How you doing today? I'm good. Good. Going heading heading to promote a show here in a little bit. So I'm on the road right now. I see you're going to be inducted into a Hall of Fame here soon. Yeah, I'm going into the uh, Nebraska Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame in July. That's impressive. Congratulations. Thank you. Who were some of your heroes growing up, whether it was wrestling, ordinary life, or or just regular sports? Um, Well, I was um, pretty much, you know, I liked, uh, I mean, as pro wrestlers, I grew up, you know, I liked, like, Mad Dog Vashon. My first guys I liked were, like, Mad Dog Vashon, Greg Gagne. I mean, I grew up. I grew up at the end of that, you know, I started going to wrestling in 1979. So I kind of grew up in that early 80s AWA era with Greg Gagne and Mad Dog Machon. And then, I mean, I, I was a big Hulk Hogan fan in the AWA. And then, you know, from then on, um, you know, I you know, I like Ric Flair. I liked Arn Anderson, you know, Sting later on. Um, in other sports like football, I was, you know, I was a huge Lawrence Taylor fan when I was a kid. I loved, I loved LT. Um, in basketball, I was a huge Magic Johnson fan, and in baseball, I'd like Dale Murphy just because you know, we got TBS and I'd watch wrestling at 5:05, and then the Braves usually would come on after that. So, I'm an Atlanta Braves right. fan and a Dale Murphy fan that way. Yeah, me too. I did the same thing, you know. And the Mariners were pretty poopy back then, so gave me more motivation to like the Braves and then getting to see them all the time, them and Bob Horner and Phil Negro, all the old-timers. Yeah. Yeah. So what's some of the most memorable matches you've either seen or been in? Uh, well, some of my favorite ones I've seen, you know, uh, Nick Bockwinkle and Kurt Henning went into a 60-minute draw. That's that's one of my favorite matches. Flair and Steamboat. Um uh, 
Hogan Warrior, Hogan Rock, they're kind of they're right up there. Um, Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, because I was there live for for the Shawn's retirement match. Uh, trying to think. Uh, I mean, those are probably overall most of my favorites. Flair Terry Funk, I really liked too. That was a really, really good match. All right. And then uh, did you play sports in high school or growing up? I played football and basketball. All right. And then what about your self-defense background? What was that? Your self-defense background. Uh, I've, you know, I've done some MMA stuff in the past. I used to box when I was younger. So I've learned how to handle myself if I need to. I used to, I, you know, I, re- I amateur wrestled in junior high. I got to high school and didn't. I didn't want to play the, you know, changing weight games between seasons, so I just wanted to play football. But right I'm on. amateur okay. wrestle too. So. And then I'm sure Sign Guy would like to know if he doesn't already know what your favorite coffee to drink is. I honestly don't drink coffee. We're getting that answer more often than not now. What is I'm your favorite I'm drink? Not, I'm not a caffeine guy. Um, my favorite drink. Um, oh, I drink a lot of iced tea. I drink a lot of iced tea in, anymore. <laughs> All right. And then, uh, wh- let me see, who are some of your favorite people to work? One of my favorite opponents worked him a ton. Gorgeous Alex Gretzky. Um, more recently, I've, I've worked James Storm a lot. He's He's great to work with in the ring. Um, I got to work early in my career a lot with uh, Johnny Grunge. So I learned a lot from him in my early career. I got to work with him quite a bit. He was always, you know, he was always really good to me. Uh, another guy I like to work with, Big Haas out of Kansas, Big Dog out of Kansas. This guy, guys that I just, you know, I um, really click with in the ring. We can just go in and you know, we can just go and not have to, you know, just, have a match and not think about it, and you know, it just and it just flows. Definitely. And then, who were some of your toughest opponents in the ring? Oh, toughest. Uh, Lance Archer is one of the toughest I've been in the ring with. Um, Mantar, you know, formerly Mantar, I've wrestled him minimum ten times. He's in all honesty, he's one of the strongest guys I've ever been in the ring with. There's only been a few guys I've been in the ring with that can. I mean, I mean just pick me up, put him where he wants me. Uh, you know, he was awesome. Okay, and then let me see. But he was pretty good in the ring. All right. Now, what's some suggestions you have for people who wanting to get into this to the business? Well, make sure you got something to fall back on. Don't put all your eggs in this basket. Make sure you've got, you know, you have something you can do after this. I mean, it's a physical sport. You can get hurt at any moment. Uh, knock on wood, I've never been seriously hurt in the ring. But, I mean, I've seen people get hurt. And there's a lot of guys on the indies that don't, that don't have a, you know, this is, and if I can they're going to make it big and actually make money doing it and be able to survive doing it. 
And I'd also say make sure you got money in your pocket because you never know when you're going to go to a you always make sure when you go to a, you go to an event you got money to get back to home and you got yeah you're breaking up a little bit. Are you there? Uh oh, did we lose Mr. Blade? Uh, he may have hit a bad spot. Yeah, he dropped a call. Hit a bad okay. spot on the road, coach. All right, so I'll uh, stay where I'm at on my questions. We might want to get our other games going, though, set up. I don't know if you're prepared for those. Have you a book you would like to read? I do, but let me see. Of course, we got old school right here. Chapter four starts out with, what, you want coffee? Jack greeted Jerry at the door of his Commodore suite. The man nodded yes, moving towards the burgundy barricade couch in front of the silver coffee service, rubbing his temples, nursing a hangover. Uh, Jerry poured his cup first cup less than eight uh, hours ago. Cut him back. Okay, I'm, cool. I'm back. This lost signal there yeah, in the middle you, of Nebraska. I'm in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. You were breaking up. So uh, we were in the middle of asking you about uh, your uh, suggestions. I think you were almost done. You you said uh, make sure they have money in their pocket. Yeah, you never you never know what a promoter is going to pay you for sure. I You always hope they do, but I've been in situations where I've seen guys not get paid. And guys crying because they don't have gas money to get home. So always make oh, sure you've got money to get home. And have a reliable vehicle. There are so many independent guys that have the worst vehicles on the planet. You know, just have something that's reliable. It don't have to be the greatest thing in the world, but have something reliable you can get to and from the show with. For sure. And then what other different characters have you worked in your career? Just your uh, your own with your uh, Brian Blades character, or have you had other characters? Uh, the only other major character I did was down in Texas, and I did a, a character called Demigod. Demigod, Demigod, something like that, where I had a kind of this weird mask over my face, and the whole deal was I was possessed. That sounds cool. Nice. Yeah. The fun, the, you know, the, kind of the fun part about it was, was I didn't have to, like, sell anything, because I was possessed, so people couldn't technically hurt me, I guess. So. <laughs> All right, wow. <laughs> okay, what's... What schools would you suggest for people? Well, and it, you know, it kind of comes down to, to what you know, how much can you afford? You know, like say if you're looking for good like local schools that are, you know, like KCXW down in Kansas, or I think they're in Kansas City, Kansas now. They might be in Missouri, but I think they're in Kansas now. They run a pretty good school uh, for people. If you're looking, you know, depending, like I said, what you're looking for. Lance, you know, I think Lance Storm got out of it, but I would look into going, if you can go to OPW, look and see if they'll train you. Uh, the Wild Samoans, I'm pretty sure they're still training people out there. I mean, they have an excellent school. Um, you know, one of the, theirs is one of the best in the country. Um, let's see. I would say 
You know, and if you want to start off, too, go to local seminars, too. If you're just starting off, go to local seminars and see who's training at the seminars. Get your foot in the door that way, too, and see if you're meant if you're meant to do this. Um, you know, paying $3,000 for a school to start with or so, if you can't make it through the, you know, the basic first day of a regular training seminar, it's probably not your best idea. So I would say start awesome. start at a local training seminar and then, you know, see who's who's running it. You know, they'll get you through the basics. You'll probably get to, you know, you know, after a couple, you know, after at least two seminars, you'll probably have gotten to bump a little bit, hit the ropes a few times, and see if it's for you. See if you can even handle it. And then go on from there and ask the guy who's training there what schools, too, that they might recommend or where they went. You know, and, and just get and get Get a consen- you know, you don't even consensus, but talk around to people. Don't just ask one person. Ask different people what they think, because everyone's going to have a different experience somewhere. Yeah, awesome. That's great advice. And then, what are some of your favorite places to work? Um, I work in Lincoln, Nebraska a lot. I like there. I like I like you know I really like small towns. Um, just people in smaller towns are very happy that you're there. There's not a whole lot of other entertainment a lot of times that are coming through. You know, you get to, you get to your bigger cities, you know, like in Chicago or Kansas City, Omaha, Lincoln, you know, things like that that are bigger, Dallas. There's so many things to do. that it, They're not as excited that you're there. But you get to small towns and especially, let's say, the Midwest, you know, they, you know people are happy you're bringing entertainment and family-friendly entertainment to their town. So I love going to small towns because a lot, you know, sometimes you know they'll roll up the red carpet for you, and the fans, you know, fans tend to buy more there because they're not getting entertainment. They're not buying, you know, Garth Brooks and Bon Jovi T-shirts at, at the Giant Arena concert. You know, this, this is their chance to get stuff from guys that come in, you know, maybe once or only twice a year. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, hey. Uh... I'm good for now. I want to wish you all the luck in the world. We thank you so much for coming on. And you're part of a, we have over 1,700 shows now. And uh, I wish you all the, luck in, all the luck in the world, brother. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you guys having me. And here's another 1,700 for you guys. Yeah, and then Sun Guy's got some more, I'm sure. All right. All right. Thank you, Coach. Well, Brian Blade, one of your opponents I know you've had multiple matches with is someone we know quite well out here in the Pacific Northwest. He's been on our show many times. Chief Atakula Kula. I know you've crossed paths with the Chief. Uh, He's saying he's got one last tour in him as he's talking of wrapping things up in the next couple of years. What's your experience has been like with the great Chief Atakula Kula? Uh, Chief's a great guy. Um, he's, he knows what he's doing in the ring. He's fun to be in the ring with. It's always a, it's a physical match. Um, but he's and outside the ring, he's just a great guy. I mean, he's he's one of, you know, he's, he's a genuine guy, really good. I'm proud to be able to call him a friend of mine. You can't ask for, you know, a better person than the Chief. And, you know, in the ring, he gets it done. You know, he gets Either a heel or baby face, he gets it done. People, he can make the people love him. He can make the people hate him. And he's had a great career. Now, the Chief has been known 
to have some bloody matches. Uh, I know you don't do death matches per se, but the chief oftentimes spills blood whenever he's wrestling. Have you spilled blood from the chief, or has the chief spilled your blood in a lot of those matches? No, we've never spilled each other's blood. We've never had a. We've never really had a feud anywhere that's went went to that level yet. Uh, I've had my blood spilled many times, but just never by him. That might have to go on the Chiefs' bucket list. I don't know. One of the more underrated parts of pro wrestling for a successful promotion is the referees. I know fans don't always appreciate it, but if somebody knows what they're doing in their uh, business, they understand that the referee can help get a match through that is struggling. They can do a lot to help the younger wrestlers out there. I know you've been in there with a lot of referees over the course of your career. Who are some of the better ones out there that may not get the recognition that they actually really deserve? Uh, Drew Chandler, Drew Chandler, a very good referee in the Midwest. Um, he does a really good job. He's been all over. Um, Bobby Byrne, he does a pretty good job most, you know, most nights. You know, his biggest problem is he's just such a big guy. But um, let's see. a lot of the referees I've worked with, you know, the problem is with so many referees, they want to become wrestlers, so they're not referees anymore. That's the biggest problem. Uh, I'm trying to think who else recently that's been really good that I've worked with just because there's so many like I said there's so many refs either have quit lately or they want to become wrestlers um, Adam Pena was a really good referee uh, boy I can't yeah. think of any others offhand that are actually still just refereeing right now that I've worked with a lot lately that are that either haven't quit or became wrestlers On the flip side of that, a bad referee can really sink a good match, and a lot of promoters, especially at the independent level, will just put anybody into the ring to referee, regardless if they've ever been inside of a ring before or had any training or whatever, and they'll just throw guys out there thinking that it's not important. I'm sure you've come into that situation without having to name names per se. What was the worst referee experience you ever had? Oh, boy. Um, I don't know. I've had a few. I haven't had a lot because I know the thing is, I know if a guy's brand new, I'm not going to over-convolute what I'm doing for them Um, because, you know, it's not just you and the opponent, it's you, the opponent, and the referee. And if, if the referee has no idea what he's doing or no idea what you're doing, you've got to kind of tailor what you're doing so that they can figure out what they're doing too. So, I mean, I've had a couple where they have no idea when to count, um, you know, count chokes, count breaks, um, you know, not count the three count right. I mean, that's happened a few times. But 
as a wrestler, you also got to re- remember if it's just like wrestling a guy in his first match, that referee's in his first match, you've got to tailor the match to what they can handle and what they can do. So too many guys are worried about what they're doing in their spots and don't think about what they are doing, you know, that the, that the referee may have no idea what's going on because this is his first match. And sometimes the promoter, you know, has no choice sometimes. And they, just because you don't have a ref show up. And there's so many guys that just don't want to be referees anymore. Like I said, so many guys want to become wrestlers that just don't want to stay referees that it's sometimes hard for a promoter to keep a referee or get a referee sometimes. And if you've only booked one referee for the night or sometimes two, you know, it's just like wrestlers. They cancel on you just the same as a wrestler will sometimes or something comes up family-wise and then you're kind of stuck. So sometimes, you know, the promoter's got no choice, but, hey, I'm going to train you in 20 minutes and do the best you can. So that's when you got to, you know, as the promoter, you got to tell the, the wrestlers that, hey, this guy's brand new. Don't be doing a lot of stuff that this ref can't handle and don't understand what you're doing. So, but the problem is, so many guys want to get all their stuff in, they can't they can't handle, you know, taking their match down to the level where the referee might need it. It can still be a great match, but you just got to be careful that there's not 50 things a referee's got to remember in that match. You got to just keep it basic where he's just doing counts and that's it. Yeah, hopefully they know when to count. Right. I mean, I've had it happen where they haven't known, you know, haven't even known when to count. But it's, you know, it happens sometimes, and sometimes it's not on the promoter. Sometimes it is. You, know, you forget to book a ref, or but like I said, sometimes you have a ref booked or two refs booked, and they just don't show up. It happens just like, just like wrestlers. Sometimes they just don't show up. Very, very true. And I have seen referees out there that have no idea when to count. Mm-hmm. They would just stand there staring. One of the yeah. other important parts of wrestling that doesn't always get the credit it needs is the ring announcer. The ring announcer is usually the face of the promotion as far as the fans go, regardless if that's the intent of the promoter or not. The fans usually flock to the ring announcer to tell them somebody cheated in a match or to ask when the next show is or whatever. They see them as sort of the leader of the promotion, even if that's not their actual goal. Who are some of the better ring announcers out there? Um, Let's see. Well, Johnny Cadillac does a really good job. Uh, for the MWA, um, I'm trying to think, he's done so many lately. Um, Seth Goldberg in Chicago does a really good job. Um, let's see, I'm trying to think who. Bad thing is, I feel bad because I can't remember names all the time. But they both do a really good job. Um, there's another guy in Kansas, I can't remember his name. All of a sudden, he does a really good job. Um, feel bad. I meet so many people that I don't remember names all the time, and I'd love to be able to, I can like see them in my head, and I'd love to be able to tell you their names. I just can't remember any more than that all the time, because that's who I work with. Those are the guys I work around the most. One of the things in the last probably 
eight years or so in wrestling that has become a trend is wrestlers have moved away a lot of times from wearing the traditional wrestling boots to wearing amateur shoes and oftentimes tennis shoes. Uh, we saw Batista come out in just a pair of Nikes for WrestleMania, and so a lot of independent wrestlers have followed that, saying, well, Batista did it. Have you noticed where you're at that the trend seems to be moving away from the traditional boots? Yeah, I see that happening. That drives me nuts. You know, it's okay for, like, one guy to do it. You know, everything. it's okay. John Cena did it. He made it work. But not everybody is John Cena. And I don't know. It just seems like, uh, I don't know how to put it, but if you can't afford any gear, maybe you shouldn't be doing this. In a sense, it's, sometimes it just comes out that people can't afford wrestling boots. And, but if you can't afford the the gear would be like playing football. Well, I can't afford cleats or I can't afford shoulder pads. Well, you need the gear to play the sport. And it's, you know, like I said, it works sometimes for one guy, but you can't have five guys on the card in, in tennis shoes. It looks like somebody's the backyard of somebody's house. One of the other parts of wrestling that's unique for our business is anywhere a promoter can put a ring can become a wrestling venue pretty much. We've seen wrestling shows held in any number of unusual places from restaurants to bars to parking lots, churches. What's been the strangest venue where you've ever had to wrestle? Uh, I did it on a horse racing track. It was That was different because it was a weird – it wasn't like – this was like um, – the horses ran straight. They didn't run like in a horse racing circle, like horse drag racing. So that was interesting. Um, I'd never seen that before. Um, let's see. What else is... Oh, uh, we've done it. I've been in a 10-foot ring in a small bar. That was that was interesting. 10-foot ring is not very big. It is um, not. I've been in one. Done it on race tracks. Uh, trying to think anything else is really strange. I mean, it's fair as you do it wherever they tell you to put it, which sometimes in the middle of the street, sometimes on a basketball court, you know, sometimes it's on a soccer field. I think those are probably the strangest. I can't think of anything else that's been that's been really, really like crazier out there. That's anything crazier than that. Flip side of that, what has been the best venue where you've gone to wrestle? Oh, the best venue. Um, oh, best venue, huh? Boy, there's some nice ones I've been into. We did a show in at the Iowa State Fair in one of their bigger arenas there. That that place was immaculate. That was really nice. That place was huge. Had a great crowd. Um, that one's probably the best one I've been in. That was It was a new building. Um, and it was part of um, – it wasn't part of the 
fair. It was part of something else. It was part of the, it's where the state fair is held. And that was part of a Lucha show, honestly. So that was, uh, that was a really nice venue. And that's probably the best one I've been in and um, that I've actually wrestled in. That's one of the – yeah, i definitely say that's probably the best one I've been in in Des Moines. Wrestling in the United States at one point sort of had a dim look at Puerto Rico after the Bruiser Brody tragedy, but shortly after that, uh, wrestling became popular in Puerto Rico with Americans again, and a lot of people got past it, and now we're well over 30 years past that point, so a lot more Americans are open to going to Puerto Rico, and we see a lot of Americans working full-time in Puerto Rico. Is that a place that you've ever wanted to go to wrestle or attempted to go for wrestling? Yeah, I've actually always wanted to go to Puerto Rico to wrestle. I've talked to Chief about going with him a few times. It just hasn't... I was supposed to go, and then COVID hit, and I was supposed to go to a lot of places, then COVID hit, and so I'd like to go back. It's just a matter of timing and being able to go down there with all my other bookings and all the other things I have going on in, in real life, and so yeah, I'd like to go down there before um, I call it a day one time. Now, at some point in time, most people that enter the pro wrestling business think of going to Japan. Uh, getting the Ribera Steakhouse jacket used to be sort of a uh, status symbol within pro wrestling. It's not as much anymore, but that used to be the goal of a lot of people. In the last few years, it's become easier for American independent wrestlers to get work in Japan and be able to wrestle there where before it was much more closed off. Is Japan something you ever considered? Oh, yeah, I've considered it a couple times. I've had friends go over there, and friends want me to come over there, and I've got some a few connections in Japan. It's just another thing, though, that I've got to find the time to be able to do it, I guess. It's just... With my schedule and then, you know, what I do, I own another business outside of doing wrestling. So with owning another business, it's tough to find time sometimes to be able to take the time to go to Japan and do it right, not just go over there for, you know, a couple nights and say, hey, yep, I wrestle here, and, and then just turn around and come back. So it's got to be – it's just got to be the right situation, the right time. Um, I was really looking into it uh, before COVID, and, and now it might be tough because they, they have restrictions in Japan again, and now they're just, you know, it sounds like they're deciding if they're going to let people in again or not here soon. So um, part of that will factor into it. Have you in the course of your career competed against Japanese wrestlers very often? Um, I have a few times. I worked uh, with Kikitaro before. Um I've worked with him and a couple other guys that have come over from Japan that weren't um, as famous or a couple other guys that came up from Mexico to work Lucha shows that weren't quite as famous. Um, they were always a pleasure to work with, always easy to work with. Um, 
you know, they just they were just one of the boys. They were happy to be here. It seemed like. Well, we have a few minutes left in the show, but I want to make sure that there is ample time for you to say anything you would like to say to the fans, plug and promote anything and everything you wish, merchandise, upcoming appearances, social media, your favorite steakhouse, whatever you would like. Floor is yours. Well, we got um, I got a bunch of events coming up. I got I'm in Harrington, Kansas, May 20th for TAPW. Uh, the 21st, I'm in North Platte, Nebraska for the MWA. The 22nd, I'm in Lexington, Nebraska for the MWA. And then June 3rd, I am in Lincoln, Nebraska for the MWA. So, hope people can come out to those events. Um, I would like to thank um, uh, Top Shelf Breaks for sponsoring a lot of stuff uh, for me and for the MWA and other promotions. I'd like to thank uh, Hubby's Timeout Bar in Lincoln. They do a lot for us um, and a lot for the MWA. Really take care of the wrestlers when we come in. So, and then uh, social media wise, if you want to follow me on social media, I'm just I'm Brian Blade on on Facebook. Don't hit the jazz singer though. I'm not the jazz musician. He's Brian Blade also. Um, I'm real Brian Blade on Twitter and real Brian Blade on Instagram. So you can hit me up there too and give me a follow there. You'll see a lot of stuff that I do, a lot of pictures. Um, post my matches. I'm Brian Blade on YouTube also. Don't hit the jazz musician there either. You can find the wrestler Brian Blade on there. So. You find me. You find me in places there. Like I said, if you want to see my matches, they're all a lot of them are up on YouTube, either under MWA Midwest or under uh, they've got a lot of my show my uh, matches up or under Brian Blade on on uh, YouTube. All right. Well, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. We appreciate you spending Mother's Day with us. Best of luck on the upcoming appearances, and hopefully we'll cross paths at some point. Oh, I hope so. Sounds good, and I appreciate you guys having me on. It's been it's uh, been a pleasure. Pleasure is definitely ours. All right, well, Coach, as we get ready to wrap things up here in the next few minutes, I'm sure you got some things you want to plug, promote. Yes, definitely. You can check me out on social media, the Coach with the Most. Also, Coach Mike Jones on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Don't forget to check out the greatest faction in the world, the Real School Army. And for hundreds of interviews from wrestlers all over the world on the NGW Green Room. Also, I got the Seattle Mariners Organizational Report. And Sign Guy and myself do the Cincinnati Reds Organizational Report. Uh, We try to do that weekly at least. And coming up, I'm going to be debuting the Coach Mike Jones podcast here soon. And then if you need a car in the Washington area, you can check, in out, check out S&S Best Auto Sales. They're in Auburn. And they also got a website. You can check out their cars. And just tell them Wild Lyle and Coach Mike sent, sent you. And if you need a tow in the Pierce County area, check out Big Boys Towing. And then don't forget to check out uh, Sign Guy's Sign of the Times. He just did episode 530, and he's still rolling on that. Absolutely, I did. Also, don't forget you can follow me on the Twitter, but not literally. Not literally. At Sign Guy, HPW. Also, don't show up to sports entertainers' houses and try to sneak into their house to get autographs. 
Don't do that. No. no. Don't do that. That's the wrong <laughs> way to not. get an autograph. Yes. Or any celebrity. Yes. Well, All next right, week we will be back with you next Friday afternoon. We have Chaz Taylor, formerly of the Global Wrestling Federation. Also, will we continue with Blade Month next week, a week from this very day, Damian Blade out of the St. Louis area will be here. So make sure you have plans to be with us. Happy Mother's Day to everyone out there. We'll be back with you soon. Everybody stay safe out there. And for the love of Fez, don't go to sports entertainers' houses and try to sneak in to get an autograph, especially when they aren't at home and they're trying to produce a major pay-per-view event. But we will be back with you next week. I'm here now and I'm giving this all I got